As I walked on through Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked and blinked straight to me away. Santi, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan and Johnny Kennedy. On how to get a little boat by human power, three over 3,000 miles, about 3,000 miles across the North Atlantic, which is the, one of the most like unforgiving stretches of water on the planet. And then with consequences that are very real, right? So I'm kind of gone to rolling the dice, not only with my own life, but now I have two other guys as well, you know, that are uh, that I'm responsible for. On this week's podcast, I speak to Waterford man Raymond Byrne, who is about to embark on a daunting journey to row a boat across the Atlantic from New York to Ireland. Raymond, along with Americans Chris McCaffrey and Ryan Cosgrove, will attempt to row a 25-foot-long rowboat unassisted from Montauk to Dungarvan in County Waterford in aid of the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. The 3,000-mile voyage is called The Hard Way Home, and Raymond talks to me about how it came about, the logistics in putting it together, the team's preparations, and the dangers which lay ahead in navigating the world's second-largest ocean. He also tells me why he chose to raise money for the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, which brings the remains of loved ones home to Ireland if they have died tragically abroad. The charity was discussed in detail in our previous podcast with Colin Bell, who set up the trust. The Hard Way Home journey is expected to take around 70 days to complete, and the team have been plagued by delays due to adverse sailing conditions. I spoke to Ray last week when he was hoping to depart last weekend, but the team have been delayed yet again and are hoping to take off this Sunday or Monday. To keep up to date with the latest developments of The Hard Way Home, follow the team on Instagram or Facebook on the handle at The Hard Way Home. The team will also be posting updates to social media throughout the trip. If you'd like to support the team, there is a donation link in the description of this podcast or check out their website, thehardwayhome.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your streaming provider so that you're instantly notified on new episode releases. We're currently expanding our website also, thelonghaulpodcast.com, to cover more Irish-American news stories. So if you'd like to suggest a story or submit one yourself, please DM us on social media or email michaeljdorgan at hotmail.com. Raymond is also the co-owner of Wild, an upscale restaurant in the Chelsea neighbourhood of Manhattan, and he chats about the challenges the hospitality industry in New York City has faced during COVID and his predictions on the future of the industry. But first, I started off by asking Raymond to give me a quick rundown on the logistics of the team's upcoming trip. Weather permitting, hopefully, we're going to row a small boat unsupported from New York uh, back home to Ireland. And it's so you're going like North Atlantic and across the north, yeah. And where are you yeah. leaving from? Pretend we were going to leave from Montauk, but actually, like we're having a lot of so it's it's really the wind affects it a huge amount at the start. Um, it would be this is why people use sails and engines predominantly rather than trying to row across the bodies of water. Um, 
So we really need a wind to take us offshore just for a couple of days, and then we can navigate uh, across. But it's just really dangerous for us. Um, right within like 50 miles ashore, we need to get off as quickly as possible, and we need a wind. We need the right weather to just help us the first couple of days, and it just wasn't there this week. So it's funny. It's it's just not a, a thing for schedule. Every single person just keeps asking me. Uh, people are asking me in Ireland what date and time I'm arriving at. You know, <laughs> you don't even know when you're leaving. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm on this like kind of roller coaster of a day to day thing now, where it's like it's game time, and I have a guy who's like kind of trained us and he's our weather router um, and he's keeping an eye on everything on a really kind of a micro detail level with the weather. And he said it was game time Monday. So we're all like amped up, ready to go. And then on Saturday, it was pushed to Tuesday. So then it's like, okay, we have another day. And then on Sunday, it was called for the time being. So it's like this kind of like, you're getting, you can feel yeah. the, the game time stuff and then it's called off and now it's pushed another couple of days so it's a it's an interesting yeah 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 it'll play with your patience so uh, and you're supposed to the 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 end destination is uh dungarvan is it yeah we'd love to make it to dungarvan uh which is like it's about 10 minutes from where i'm from in kilmack and waterford now again the weather it's going to be exactly the same issue on that side as it is on this side. So if we're about a week out from Ireland and like the wind is what well, predominantly goes up the West coast of Ireland, like the current splits. So if we get drawn to the West, we're going to the West coast of Ireland, you know, okay. like it's, we're not going to try and anchor for a week to see if we can make it around that corner to get in. But if we can make it, we'll go, um, Hopefully, to Dungarvan. That's the plan. And it's you and two other lads. They're uh, Americans, are, are, are they, Ray? Yeah, two American. I know. Uh, I don't, lads, I don't yeah. think you, you, you haven't. You don't know each other. Essentially, um, you don't no. have a history together. So no, <laughs> it's going to be no. an interesting <laughs> boat journey. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, it's been a long. Um, I mean, this project for me is is like five years in the making, and the first two years was kind of, you know, it's it's a a fun idea um but then I, I try and follow through on things yeah so uh it started off with a brazilian friend of mine who's like a, like a professional endurance athlete and he was on board um and then that first year which was like three years ago we just weren't ready it just kind of had we got the boat and uh it just came a bit too quickly because you can only leave right now in the year so in the kind of end of May to the middle of June, okay. and that gives you time to get across before the hurricane starts at the end of August. Um, so me and him were into it. Uh, and then he just, he just fell out of love with the idea, essentially. And uh, he went on, he does a bunch of other stuff. So he's kind of scheduled for other yeah. things. And then I still have this boat, which is now sitting out in Rockaway. So... It started then like the backup. I'm asking a lot of guys putting up their hands, you know, and then like rethinking their situations as they actually thought about what they're like volunteering for, you know. And I'd say I probably did 10 of those guys. Um, and look, again, 
it's better to figure it out that it's not for you sitting at home. Yeah, yeah. Figuring it out when we're a thousand miles out to sea and you don't want to be there. And that's a problem for all of us. Um, so last year then, I actually had an Egyptian guy and an Australian guy. Um, and that was a done deal. They were coming. Uh, we were going to get it done last summer. But then COVID just kind of torpedoed everything, you know. Um, we didn't, so they couldn't come with visas. And the plan was then to keep the same team to this year. <clears throat> but the visa stuff kept kind of dragging on. And this whole project is nothing if not just an exercise in problem solving every day. Do you know? It's like everyone thinks it's about rowing or like the endurance yeah. part when really it's, it's a logistical thing. You know, you have to be able to figure out on the fly how to make it work. Um, so I kind of knew back in November then that I didn't think this, the guys, I couldn't bet. And it's kind of fine for guys coming in to be able to say, oh, I might be able to make it. But I'm the one here with the boat investing like huge amounts of money into making this project happen. And I'm like, I, I don't like the odds, you know? So uh, I started looking then for American guys so that I could be sure they would be here yeah. uh, when it was time to go, yeah. Um, and I put an ad up on like an adventure forum, like an old Shackleton ad, you know, kind of like uh, neat guy, row ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, and Chris is like, you know, Chris is a young guy and he's 21 and he wrote back He's into it now. And then his buddy, and they were kind of still two backups right when I was chatting to them, to the other two guys. And then suddenly within a week, it just rolled into, no, this is it. I'm going, we got to go with this. Um, and so his buddy, Ryan, who he knew from Alaska, I mean, these two guys are outdoor professionals. You know, they're big wall okay. climbers, surfers, pro skier, um, and they live outside. Uh, I, like the best way to put it was like Ryan we have these dog beds for the back of the boat right and Ryan took Ryan lives in a truck that, on, at the marina that he built like a camper van on top of a Tacoma and he took the dog beds for the row out of the back of the, the boat and put them in his truck and he's like these are great you know <laughs> it's luxury like, for him so <laughs> oh he's like he's moving out of the back of a truck into the back of a boat you know it's uh is i think it's funny like you know the way things are meant to happen <clears throat> it wouldn't have yeah. been this thing wouldn't have happened now that i know so much in the last few months because it's been so much pressure to do it that it wouldn't have worked without the two guys that i have now you know brilliant all the stars yeah, aligned so really like yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So I want to, I want to I, I come back to the, the kind of the details of, of the trip. Of course, you're doing it for the Kevin Bell Repatriation yeah. Trust. Um, yeah. Um, of course, a, a, a great uh, charity. We spoke about them last week and that's how I became aware of uh, yourselves. Uh, I, I'd yeah, raise you yeah, the trip yeah. until he, he tagged us. So, so thanks very much for that. So like, um, do, do you want to touch on the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust now or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it was something, and it was funny, I wasn't actually aware of it when I was planning up to the row. <clears throat> and I used to live right on 233rd Street there when I first came over to New York. Um, and, you, you know, in Woodlawn, it, it's no one is that far away from anyone else. Uh, and a, a buddy of mine I went to the, uh, the gym with, uh, 
we in the city, and he had been saying to me um, afterwards, we were talking about the row, and he was like, oh, would you not think of doing it with the Kevin Bell Trust? And I, I, was, I asked him about it, and then you're just like, do you know when there's an instantly, you just see the fit yeah. of something, right? Where it's like, God, that poor like young man could have been myself, could have been any guy that I know that's like, you know, essentially grown up in New York, right? In their 20s. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just felt right for like the hard way home, you know, to try and, and like, I just, yeah, it's, it's all inspiring to take something that's that, that, that's that hard and turn it into something that's helping like a ton, like a bunch of other people, you know, like huge respect for the Bell family. And so you were doing the trip before you picked the charity, where you're at. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think just the way you call it the hard way home and the whole symbolism behind that, the way, you know, you're going from like the history of Kevin Bell, of course, yeah. tragically dying here in New York and then being yeah. brought home. I think there's a lot of symbolism with that and what you're doing. So as you said, it's, it's just the fit is just. Um, yeah, for sure. Great yeah. Fit and it, it's a yeah. great cause. Yeah. Yeah. Great cause. Hopefully now it's, it's a real push on the Kevin Bell uh, fund is kind of going to start now if you know what I mean like it's yeah. been so much work to get the boat actually ready to go like it just takes up all my time um that and once I think we're in the water and we can start the promos running on that that uh and especially at home it uh because it's so Irish centric you know yeah. like it's such it, it's like the it resonates so much with Irish people that uh it's like, yeah, already at home, they're doing like a no uniform days at the school, uh, you know, back in the village and all that stuff. And we're going to get all that rolling over the course of the summer. Okay. Um, and then when we get home as well and, and hopefully get uh, something together so we, we can help uh, develop family, help some people. And how do people donate to, to your trip? Do you have a, a fundraising yeah, it's button? I, I, I donate.ie uh, okay. slash the hard way home. Okay, and I put links yeah. up on the the podcast so for people listening and watching in the description. You'll see it, see a link there. Excellent stuff, Ray. So I'm going to kind of a roundabout way. We'll come back to it in yeah. a minute, but I'd like to get your 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 backstory uh, where you grew up. Um, as myself and Johnny would say, I heard you're a golden ticket recipient. You were born in California, so yeah, you, had yeah. the, you, you have the US visa already. <laughs> yeah, the. Uh... So yeah, my parents uh, uh, came over when they were when they were young, um, eloped to America, and uh, I just happened to be born around that time, you know, back in uh, over in. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble the rest of us no, go I, through for visas. <laughs> said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said like uh, I was making a joke because people were asking me this on so like this uh, Captain Thomas already asked me this, and I. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like making fun and it's just like dead silence. And I was like, okay, um, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we came back uh, when I was, um, you know, three years old or something, just before my sister, uh, Rasheen was born. And then we moved back to Kilmack, Kilmack Thomas in Waterford, where uh, my mom is from. And I uh, grew up there in... We, we we had a bar. I grew we grew up I grew up above the bar, always been in the bar business. And uh yeah, great. Countryside in Ireland. Played everything growing up. 
Idyllic, yeah. Great memories. And when did you, uh, did you go to college in Ireland and when did you come to New York? Yeah, I actually came, we went over to uh, me and my cousin Stevie, who's the same kind of story. And we came back over to our uncles in Philly when we were like 18 maybe and stayed for a bit and then went back and I went to school in Cork, college in Cork. Um, and then after college, I came back to the States. Stevie had already come back and I yeah. came uh, back to New York then. So kind of, there was no big plan, but like, this is nearly 20 years ago now, you know? Okay. So you, were, you, yeah. you, like you, you moved back, you moved back to the U S fairly young. So like just out of college, you yeah. came over. I, 22, I think. Okay. Yeah. And how old, how, how old are you now, Ray? I'll be 40 in like a couple of weeks. I'll be 40 out on the Atlantic. Oh, will you? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. I mean, that was the plan. I mean, you could I mean, still be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could still be sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So tell me about your just growing up in, so in New York here when you were in your 20s. Did you get straight into the restaurant business? Um, you own a restaurant in Chelsea. Tell us about that. But just tell us about uh, your years here in New York and uh, uh, how you found New York. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's kind of like, I, yeah, love New York from the get-go. Like, I, like do you know when you, you arrive and the, the speed of New York is the speed that I kind of operate yeah, at? Yeah. Like, everyone walking around fast. And I'm always in a hurry, even if I've nowhere to be going. And I mean, I don't know if that is detriment sometimes, but I'm always walking too, like, fast. Yeah. Um, that people give out to me about. But, so I always felt the kind of, New York always felt like home. Um, and then, I mean, just kind of, I, yeah, fell into the restaurant business and the bar business. It's an attractive business when you're like in your early 20s, you know? Yeah. It's like the kind of party scene, um, young single man in New York. It's great, you know? Uh, so I worked in all kinds of like Irish bars to start, uh downtown and to be honest i never really thought about opening like that it was going to be i was trying to get out of the business to be honest you know i went to art school i was a painter um and i always looked at it it's like anything right whatever you grow up with you're trying to run away from in some description um and eventually i went to work at uh the standard which like a big hotel group downtown um, and started like running things for them. And it, it just really got me interested, like seeing this big operation that was just a lot different than what I was used to. Um, and even then just putting it all together in my head, I suppose it's the right time in your life as well, where you're like, Oh, I'm like ready to start building something now, you know, and then kind of throughout it. And I mean, I've talked a good bit, it's funny. It's like, I talk about this in interviews and like a lot of press things. And it sounds as if like, I was literally like out of my mind two days ago, you know, but like struggle with drinking a lot when I was here throughout my twenties. Um, really was very lucky to get out of it, to be honest. Uh, like you're a wild man, but it doesn't work out for some people, you know, uh, it definitely didn't for some people I know. And so that was kind of, that was an interesting journey as well. And it kind of led to the endurance stuff. You know, that's a kind of a direct kind of line from just my personality, I suppose. 
from going like all in, all or nothing at one thing to just having to replace it with uh, something else. Yeah, I think a lot of people, Irish people, they come out here, they could go one way or the other when it comes to the to the scene out here. We've touched on it before on the on this podcast, so it's uh, great to see that you kind of uh, got things together and uh, got yourself into gear. Um, so did you open, so when did you open the restaurant? Where is it? Yeah, uh, World Wild in Chelsea opened it two years ago, um, which is great. So, and even outside that, before that, we had like an event company. We did like right, okay. big kind of warehouse parties in in Brooklyn and all kinds of different uh, <clears throat> things. Um, but we opened a restaurant, me and my business partner, Jeff, in 2019, which is an interesting time, right? I mean, we've been closed almost as much as we've been open with COVID. Um, but it actually, it's funny how it works out in that we have 70 seats outside now. Like, I don't know how long that's going to last. Yeah. But the last few months are great you know it's uh you just it, it's really a lesson in like being the last man standing right it's like the endurance stuff it's like everything else where if you can like take the hits like if you're there still at the end like a lot of the places that close if you could have stayed the course which is not possible for everyone mm. then with the the grants and whatever else uh and just the flood of business at the moment uh, is you, you would have made like you could make it, you know. Yeah, Johnny and we had uh, Johnny talks about a lot about his bar and his two bars, and we'd Michael McIntyre on a couple of weeks ago who owns a couple of bars, and they were just saying like just get through it. You know, you're probably going to take a hit even yeah. if you do get the, the bailout money. Yeah. But as long as For you're sure. standing when things are picking up, then For sure. you, you know you've you've a platform to build on. So like yeah. the the outdoor dining like uh, it's been great. I like last year was great in a sense that everyone was outdoors and you wouldn't have seen it in New York in previous yeah. years because the, you you'd pay X amount of money it was cost a oh, fortune crazy, to be outside. Yeah. I mean that's common as well. Like make no mistake, <laughs> <laughs> the city's gonna have to make some money off these yeah. things. And great if it works out that way. But I mean the bureaucracy. Like I was dealing with the bureaucracy is like stifling. You know, you have four guys will come along to inspect something and they all have their own opinion on what the rules are. Um, I had a guy who came and I'm supposed to launch this boat like last week. And I get an email from the city telling us that our outdoor space is like there's multiple infractions. There's not. Uh, and we're they're going to close it in 24 hours, you know, and you're just like, what are we doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm jumping through hoops for the last, you know, like literally to go by the letter of the law all the time. Uh, and then you just have, you know, some moron coming along. And he's like, it's just a power trip, you know. But uh, luckily, someone a little bit up the ladder from him realizes that you probably need to get the city back on its feet and uh, not be putting a bunch of people back in unemployment, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the the hospitality industry has been hit big time here. What was your? We've spoken about this in previous podcasts. If you want to dive into, like a lot of people, a lot of uh, businesses who who are now still standing, they had probably they were able to get a good deal or they had a good relationship with their landlord. And we know of others then that probably didn't have a good relationship with the landlord. Yeah. Were you were you able to negotiate there, or how difficult was that? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I mean, he's yeah, he's a good guy. Keeps his cards very close to his chest. He's a very smart man as well. Like, there is no 
you didn't want to be out there making deals at the start because no one knows what the cards are going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, until I know what the odds are, I don't want to bet, you know? And as you see everyone, all the people that panicked at the start, they're the people that lost everything. Do you know? They're like, oh, I have to make these big decisions immediately and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you're like, just, let's see how it, let's see how it pans out. And he's been a lot like that as well, where, like, if you were a smart landlord, you would wait and see what the final stimulus, that's when I would negotiate, you know? Let's see what the money is at the end, yeah. uh, which is what our guy has been like. And I mean, he owns a lot of stuff. Uh, he's, and he's a lovely man, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he's a lovely man with a Rottweiler lawyer, which is <laughs> what we should all aspire to. He's very nice in person, but when you talk to my lawyer, uh, they're uh, tough going, yeah. <laughs> Fair play that you're still standing. Like, as, as you said, you, you just had basically opened and then you were closed again. So I can yeah. sense, like, the positive attitude with you so that you're, that you're still standing. It's, I mean, it's, in one stage, it's easier for... I, I don't know, like, there's no... There's no way you're going to let it go, right? You're not yeah. going to take it back off me, you know? Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's like, you're not going to give an inch and... Jeff, my business partner, who was like a, a Marine, uh, you know, toured, uh, firefighter, paramedic. He's not a give an inch guy either. Even less so. He's, you know, he could, uh, he doesn't like the bureaucrats at all. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So tell us, um, so give us a background. We'll try and delve back into the, the trip, but tell us about, um, so your competitive nature, your what, what you like, you don't really have experience in the, in the nautical world, I believe. No. So you used to do a lot of like uh, long distance running, ultra uh, ultra <laughs> runs. Tell us about that and how long you've been into this kind of. Um... The well, it was kind of. I started off and like even growing up playing like uh, football, Gaelic, uh, <clears throat> hurling badly. Um, you are, the, you are from Waterford, yeah. Go on. Yeah, well, yeah. Where I'm from, Tim Mac is like, uh, <laughs> yeah, not renowned for their hurlers. The, uh, yeah. No disrespect to anyone who's an amazing hurler from Tim Mac. Oh, they're be- better uh, hurling than football. But yeah, you, play, yeah, you yeah. played all sports growing up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when like, you know yourself, when you're from like a small place in Ireland, it's like everyone's on the team, right? You're playing everything. Uh, and it's a fantastic way to... It's great. It's it's so good for for young fellas to to do that, um, and then and then kind of when I like went away to college and I was in the states and I just kind of came off the rails completely, you know, and <clears throat> no sports, no anything really, partying all the time, uh, to just yeah off the rails. And then when I kind of came out of that, probably like when I was like twenty six, I just had a lot of time on my hands. And you're kind of angry as well because you feel like you wasted a lot of time. Yeah. So I started running in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And like I used to go up to Prospect Park and it's like three miles loop. And I bring like a box of Marble Lights with me and I'd be like smoking as I went around Prospect Park, you know? So that's like, that's where it started. <laughs> and uh, I used to see, I always think about, I used to see this guy who uh, he's this older guy, looked great, but he was wearing like he wears like an Iron Man unitard. Uh, and I used to be looking at, I'd see him all the time. 
because I went from like not doing anything to running like six days a week, seven, seven, every day, like, and running hard and a lot. So I went from being not running at all to like pretty fit, like yeah. really quickly. You can get fit quickly. Um, and then I seen that guy and I was like, what is this Ironman thing? You know? So I was like, okay. I looked it up and I like seen triathlon and I love the challenges where it forces you under pressure to do something, you know? So I couldn't, I couldn't swim at the time. So I was like, well, I'm going to drown if I'm in a triathlon and I have to swim a mile and I don't know how to do it. So I signed up for it and then I just kind of went from there. So I did like triathlons, then up to Ironman, kind of accomplished that up in Lake Placid. Uh, and then always kind of bigger, the next challenge. The challenge is what interests me almost more than like the specific discipline. I don't really like cycling. So I went back to uh, ultra running and I seen this old, uh, again, I hadn't a clue about it, kind of going into it. And I did this 50 miler up on, on the mountain north of New York. And I didn't get why everyone was so slow looking at the times because I was reasonably fast then. And then like they were like, oh, it's technical terrain. And I just kind of thought in my head, it would be like kind of like a Disneyland forest, you know, like just a yeah. lovely flat kind of thing with like chirping birds and you ran along. <laughs> and then it's just like this rocky mess up on Bear Mountain. Um, and so I did that 50 miler. And 50, I couldn't walk five, for zero. Like five zero, 50 miler. Nearly yeah, two marathons. My, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as my first one. And I couldn't walk. I couldn't come down the stairs like for three days after. My legs just like didn't work. Um, but loved it. Like really got into the outside like running in the mountains is just kind of spectacular in that you kind of grind up the hills as really hard work up the like whatever the elevation is. And then you run really fast down. Like it forces you to totally focus and let go of what you're doing, which is like a big thing for me. Um, so I went from that to the seeing this race in the Sahara, which is this famous old, uh, like classic ultra that they've been doing for like 35 years uh, called the Marathon de Sob uh, along like the Morocco-Algerian border. Um, and that's a, a stage race where you do, it's essentially like three marathons to break you down day by day. And you bring all your own food, you're self-supported, they give you water and you kind of sleep on the ground under a bit of wool and a stick. Um, and then you do a 60 mile day, another marathon, and then they have like a 10 mile fun run um, at the end. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a glutton for punishment. So. <laughs> love it. Love it. So, and then, so like how many, how many years have you been doing that? And then when, when did the idea come about then to, was it from those kind of um, extreme excursions, extreme competitive races that you got the idea then? Let's row a boat across the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, I remember thinking, I just remember going to like the desert race and it was already an idea in my head, but it's like, I would look at that and, and think, you're kind of like, how many of these people would make it if we took out all these safety nets, you know? Like, you, you're kind of searching for a thrill, like I am, uh, a little bit sometimes, like that next, 
kind of level thing, like how far I would just see myself at like these races and I just didn't seem to be in as worse condition as some other people. Like I didn't find it incredibly hard, you know, and I did in that race, I finished in the Martin the Sauve in the like elite, like the top category. Um, and I just felt, I was like, that was okay. You know, that wasn't uh, like really hard. Now you're still below the like, <clears throat> the pro guys who do it for their whole lives. But it was all in like, I love the idea of being better prepared, like logistically. Like I just seen other people show up to that race and you're just looking at it going, you're already going to fail. I just know by looking at you that you haven't thought about this um, or put in the work before it. Uh, so for me, that idea was like, what's the next level of that? You know, maybe not like, I don't really want to run and I'm too old really like to run, you know, put in the effort to actually try and finish high in multiple ones of these races. So I was like with the logistical stuff, um, like what's the next level of that? So how do I found a project where I know nothing about it? And I have to figure out uh, everything on how to get a little boat by human power three over 3,000 miles, about 3,000 miles across the North Atlantic, which is the, one of the most like unforgiving stretches of water on the planet. And then with consequences that are very real, right? So I'm kind of gone to rolling the dice, not only with my own life, but now I have two other guys as well, you know, that are uh, yeah. that I'm responsible for. So tell me about the, the boat itself. Describe what, how big it is. So it's kind of a the, the shape of it, how long it is, how wide it is, yeah. what, how much food you, you it, stack in it. It's 25 foot long. It's got an eight foot beam across. Uh, it, it's essentially, a, it's a big rowing boat. Like there's two rowing positions. So two guys can row at the same time. Okay. That's uncovered. And then in the back at the stern, the cabin is, uh, about seven foot long, so it's covered over at the back. Now you got to think you can you couldn't even kind of kneel up in it. That's the height of it. So, but that's where we'll sleep and we'll row in shifts on and off. So two hours on, two hours off, twenty four hours a day, and you'll take like essentially power naps and then go back to rowing, like till we get to Ireland. The food wise, so Ryan has uh, been our uh, food guy. So we we have six thousand calories per man per day for 80 days. So there's 1.5 million calories on the boat. Uh, and it's a mix of like freeze-dried meals, anything that you can dry out, dried fruit, um, snacks, porridge. Uh, yeah, anything along those lines. No fresh food, obviously. Uh, maybe you could bring a little bit at the start, but it, it has to be kind of rehydratable. Do you heat anything on the boat or it's going to be, yeah. you can? Yeah, we have a jet boil. So for water, we have a desalinator, which okay. up to like two weeks ago wasn't working. So that was an interesting, uh, and it's still, we'll call it half working now, but it's working. <clears throat> so that makes about a gallon of water when it's on an hour. Uh, and then we'll cook with that, uh, with a jet boil, like a, uh, a gas small gas portable gas uh yeah. jet boiler to boil water uh and we'll use that hot water to like rehydrate stuff yeah I, one of our biggest issues is actually power and it already is so everything is solar powered and there's just a limited amount uh that you can pull in 
and it's okay when it's sunny, but the way we're going is across the, the north, uh, which is not the sunniest part of the world. So we're going to have these like power shortages when we can only use like critical pieces of equipment, you know, like the emergency mm -hmm. equipment. And we might have to start drinking our spare water because we don't have enough power to pump to power to pump. Um, and we'll go across the, the Grand Banks do you remember that film, Perfect Storm? Yeah, they that's, fish off, like, that was the first thing I thought about when I thought about your trip. I was like, the two lads, the three lads in the boat and the big wave yeah. coming in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully there won't be any waves that, not breaking waves, but we're yeah. going like right through there. And the foggiest time of the year there is kind of the end of June, July. Um, so it's going to be interesting. We'll have no power because the solar won't work. Uh, and then we're such a small boat that you're just kind of like on the VHF trying to get um, other boats to see us, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Which is one of our biggest issues is collision. Big danger. And even what if, even what if a, a big boat passed you, like an oil tanker, would the, would the ripple effect kind of, uh, would that cause you problems? Not really. I mean, the swell, just, just as long as the boat doesn't hit into us, <laughs> yeah. that's a, a real problem. Okay. Um, and it's not even, it's, it's kind of that the boats just aren't paying attention to what you are. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and the way, like the swell is so big out there that you're always in the trough. No one can see you. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a flat surface where there's someone watching. Um, okay. And they're really just watching out for like other 300 ton plus like big commercial traffic, which is what's out there, you right. know, a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, that's going to be an interesting. That's so, one of our yeah. So biggest, it's going to be it's, it's going to be very dangerous. Like with a, like it's going to be unbelievably dangerous. Are you, are you fearful of that, or what's the uh, how, how I, do you I, mentally prepare yourself for that? It's I mean everything is risk management, right? It's you you just look at what is the risk and how do I mitigate it? How do we get it down? So we have like the, our VHF. We'll always have someone on watch. So there'll be someone awake all the time, keeping an eye out for lights, for sounds. Okay. Um, and then the minute we see them or they pop up, uh, we'll be trying to get in contact with them. And then they'll essentially be holding the same course. So we'll just be trying to get out of their way. So we'll change course if necessary. But the, the problem is maybe in the fog or something, you don't know they're there. And then suddenly we have um, an issue, you know. That's yeah. That's definitely a problem. Yeah. Would icebergs be a problem if you're going that that high up north? It could be. I mean, it's literally right along where the Titanic went. You know, like it's up along that route. I I think in the summertime they have been sighted as farther south as that, but yeah. uh, with global warming and everything, it's not really the top of our. Um, plus, we're going so slow essentially that bumping into something. Like we're not doing 30, 40 knots where like if you hit into something, it's going to explode. Yeah, yeah We'll be trying to hold two knots, two and a half knots um, at best on average. You know, sometimes you're going faster, sometimes you're going slower to, to get it done in like 60 days or whatever it is, 60, 70 days. Some simple question. How do you, how do you go to the toilet? Uh, bucket. Bucket. And yeah. how would you, how do you shower? Would you jump into the water or what's the story? No. So 
like the salt is one of the biggest problems of the whole thing. So salt on your skin is essentially like uh, sandpaper. Right, okay. um, and like on your <clears throat> uh, behind, let's say, the, if you get salt into the pores and you're sitting down for 12 hours, it will block the pores and you get massive salt sores, which are a big issue. So we're trying to keep the salt off of our bodies as much as you could jump in the water for a swim you just have to make sure that you are completely clean after it. Okay. So, so what do you on gonna, any kind of friction point? So, what will you do to to, to bathe essentially just for eighty days? You know, I said like bottle bottle showers. All right. Okay. Like we have, yeah. So it will depend again the power to water situation. Yeah. Like no one's showering unless it's sunshine, uh, where we can get the water. Mm-hmm. So like this is going to take around eighty days, Ray. And you like as you said that you haven't met the two guys. Well, you've just been in contact for this trip, so it's not on, like it's gonna. There's gonna be a few interesting dynamics there, like that you haven't. Yeah, already is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's it's uh, it's funny, like because we talked on Zoom and that over the past six months, and then Ryan has been here for. Ryan's been here for nearly two months now and he came to live in his truck to help me get the boat together. Um, and then Chris arrived a few weeks ago. Um, but it, it was funny. One of the guys, the Stokey, who's our weather router and the guy who's been training us for the last six months, um, he was kind of put it right that he was like, you're not doing this with your best friends. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's just a misconception. He's like, this is a serious thing where, you know, one of these you're the skipper, you're this, we're going to get it done. And he goes almost like knowing people too well is a detriment in that you don't have any manners then. Yeah. And you don't really know, like you think you're best friends with someone uh, because you hang out at the pub or whatever, but that's no reason to bring someone on something where you're going to try and break them. You know, like these two lads are coming because they've like spent, five months on the trail they've cycled across america they live in they're here because they have a burning desire we share that we know we share the fact that we want to get in this boat before we even do it you know um and that's probably a closer bond almost than uh what you think of as you just happen to grow up beside a guy at home you know yeah which is not it's just a different thing you know what what kind of training have you done and what kind of tra- kind of training have the two lads done to get up and get to this point? It's funny, like we've really been looking at that the last so in kind of leading up to a couple of months ago, I was doing a lot of I've put on like thirty pounds in the last I'd say just over a year, eighteen months maybe. So not all <laughs> some muscle and uh I have a uh, more of a belly than I used to have when I was ultra running. Um, but so you have to be able to lose weight, uh, which is the key. You just cannot eat enough calories to row 12 hours a day, every day, day yeah. after day after day. Okay. So we had to put on 30 pounds minimum, all of us, to just to hedge the gap, right? Yeah. You couldn't come onto this like with and like 5% body fat. It, it just wouldn't work. You know, you have no surplus to, to draw on. Um, and when you look at like some of these guys who have rowed oceans and been very successful, they look like big, like Vikings, which, you know what I mean? With the yeah. shoulders. So training, been doing a bunch of kind of slower cardio and then in the gym, uh, lifting as well. But 
coming up to close to the training has kind of gone out the window the last couple of months in that it's just not important in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's like you're going to suffer and you're going to just have to own it. Like that's the, like you're kind of hoping that the training would make it like yeah. lower your, better your recovery, so to speak. But the boat is the only thing that matters. Do you know, like you're going to be rowing yourself fit anyway. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not like you're training for a race where you're going out for one day. We're going out to do this for 70 days in a row. We're essentially going to train immensely hard. Like that's what it is. Uh, so coming in reasonably well rested and it's better to know how to fix the radio than to have gone out uh, yes. and become tired, like running 40 miles trying to train for it. Yeah. Um, and that was the advice we got from, I think, nearly everyone. You know, they just were laughing at the start and you're like, oh, I'm training hard, you know, I'm doing all this. And they're like, yeah, Tom Horton. <laughs> <laughs> I tell me what says. So you mentioned some of the the equipment there. Do you have GPS? Um, I think you'll be yeah. able to send out a few uh, Instagram uh, messages. Yeah. Is that true? Or it's, it's amazing. How, how is that yeah. possible? <laughs> we have a began unit, which essentially is it looks like a spaceship panel, uh, and you press the button on the back, and it goes beep, and then when it makes a really awful sound, like ah, it's pointing at the satellite. And then you press the button on the back and it's a mobile hotspot. It's Whoa. a very expensive mobile hotspot, but it allows you, you know, you still, you could send pictures and compress video, but that's, that's it. Okay. Someone else has to handle the actual stuff on the other side. But I mean, that was not a thing five years ago on that, at that scale yeah. for something Whoa. like this. That'll be a great way for us to, to keep tabs on you over yeah. the the next couple of weeks. Will, will it? Will yeah. someone then, someone either here or Ireland, then be uploading that to your um your yeah. Instagram page? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my I'm... good friend Megan is going to handle that. Um, so we'll be sending the stuff back to her, and she's going to uh, upload it <clears throat> onto Instagram and Facebook and that. Um, it's funny, like somewhat with the equipment where it. Like, so you can have a GPS on everything now, which like however many years ago, just wasn't possible. Like you can have one on your socks. You can have one on your shorts. They're not, it's not like cost prohibitive. But if you fall in the North Atlantic up far enough North, you only have a few hours. You know, you're yeah. going to die of hypothermia and then drown. Like there's no, it's not this total safety thing. It makes it incredibly safe, so much safer than it used to be. Because if you can get in a life raft, stay out of the water, stay warm, uh, if something catastrophic happens, then you, someone will find you, you know, it makes it easy, easier being found, but you still got to get to that point. Hypothermia is a big problem. Well, what is your biggest fear uh, going into this trip? Failure? I don't know. It's It's like... I don't dwell on stuff like that, to be honest. I yeah. literally deal with what's in front of me all the time. And if, like, if you were to sit down, and I mean, that's what happened to the, like, I know why the guys backed out because it's, it's just the way your mind works. And my mind doesn't work like that. Like, it's constantly, how do I solve this? You know? And if you're afraid of it, means it's a problem, right? So if you understand it, and you can work around it, 
not, you're not afraid of it anymore, you know? So I go through all them methodically, like, why are people scared of this? Uh, and then I find a backup plan to a backup plan to a backup plan. Um, and if you're the best prepared you can be, then you just have to be confident going out there, you know? Like, there's no second guessing yourself, you know? It's like a serious endeavor where we're putting everything on the line. So, like, we're not sitting here scared to do it. Yeah, I don't know, your mental strength, just thinking of doing it myself, I, I'd be afraid to go across the Hudson, not a mindset across the Atlantic, <laughs> but fair play. What kind of temperature is you going to be looking at? How, 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 high, how, how hot will it get and how cold will it get? This is, I mean, we've been discussing that and we've read a lot of the reports and everything else. And we have the ability to go from like, essentially you're just wearing, right? You're, you could be rolling with nothing on, right? Like total to, we have full like multi-layer offshore cold weather gear on the boat. So we're ready for anything. And it could be, it's that whole spectrum. Like once you get into that fog in Newfoundland, um, seemingly it could drop to like icy fog. Uh, and then other reports we're reading guys are like, it's 30 degrees out, you know, that mm. it's the, the sweating is the problem and the cabin being like oppressively hot. Uh, so I think we're going to go through the whole spectrum of kind of temperatures on the way over, which is is another interesting kind of logistical problem. I would like you're you're delayed now at the moment, and it's because of the trying to get offshore. But like, are you yeah. looking far ahead to see like would there be storms in thirty days, or is it just a matter of getting off and getting going? So, like one of the things you'd look at is we have like the pilot charts, so like they show what has happened in the weather, like weather samples from like, you know, a hundred years. And it shows where the wind predominantly, what the temperatures were, what happened, where the fog was. So you can kind of guide yourself across. um, And Stokey, our weather guy, is going to be like in detail, in depth in that. So we're really kind of, you couldn't go the other way. Do you know what I mean? Like the Rowan, we have to use the westerly wind. Um, there's no man is strong enough to row against mm. like the wind and the current for 70 days. You know, you could kind of come off it maybe a little bit, but if uh, you have to use what Mother Nature gives you and kind of use that to the best of our abilities. So this is the time of the year to do that. And at the moment, she's saying chill. <laughs> 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 and hopefully... We were just trying to be too smart. I'll be, I'll be fully honest. I was like trying to get off from Montauk on Monday because it looked like we could shoot around the corner of Nantucket. And there's kind of two separate routes. Some people go down for the Gulf Stream and try because you get a big push current-wise. And then we're going to go above it, like towards the north, which is the shortest okay. kind of, it's less mileage and more consistent. So we tried to shoot around the corner of Nantucket and we were supposed to go Monday and it didn't work but we could have left from the city on monday because literally the wind is that different on you know 150 yeah. miles out of montauk than it was especially the harbor in new york pushes you're dealing with all these variables of tide current wind uh, and it all affects the boat immensely um so hopefully this week this week, and is this still going to be Montauk? Is this next week? Is this still going to be Montauk? You're going to take off from? Now we have three launch zones. 
So this okay. is my workaround today. So, so we have, have to, so, so we have to keep an eye in you yeah, on on Instagram. Keep the following. hard way home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what, where are the three possible um, takeoff points? At the moment, pot, like Montauk is still kind of number one. Then Shinnecock, which is south of Montauk, near south of Southampton, yeah. which it essentially like if the wind is just pushing westerly, that will help us make that corner at Nantucket. So it's about a hundred and something, hundred miles odd to Nantucket straight. Okay. Uh, if we just can make that corner, it's it, that's the whole game at, at the moment for us. How, how much? And then it, maybe the city. How much did all this cost you to put together? I know you're trying to raise money now for charity, but like the boat, the equipment, getting the two lads, getting all the food. How much you after? Uh, how much uh, of the restaurant do you have to uh, <laughs> remortgage? <Yeah. it? laughs> the, I, I would say it's gone over a hundred grand. Okay. And it like the boat that we bought. I bought I bought the boat off two Irish guys, um, and they had it originally to do the Northwest Passage, uh, and they're living in well, one of them now is living in Vancouver, um, in Canada, and we got the boat for a steal. You know, like. Uh, the guys had a, had a big sponsor and they put in their own money and they just took their own money back and they liked the idea of it kind of passing through uh, to another Irish guy um, yeah. to do something cool. else. Uh, but everything to do with this costs, it's just a money pit, you know? And so I put in a lot of money. Chris, who's on, has put in uh, uh, an investment as well. And then we have a bunch of sponsors for that have come in and, and put in loads of money as well. And it's still like, you're just like this. We need to get the boat in the water to stop spending money as well. That was, we were talking about that last week. You know, we need to leave. So it stops, uh, <clears throat> so it stops costing. Yeah. And who, are the, who, who are the main sponsors? There's a few sponsors on the boat, isn't there? Yeah. So main sponsors, Powerade, uh, right. like Coca-Cola, uh, Blue Point Brewing, uh, Rerouted, which are uh, a used gear company in Colorado, um, Athletic Brewing, uh, Innovation Fitness, and then Waterford Greenway Bike Hire. Number one, I respond to If you're ever in Kilmack, Waterford Greenway that's, Bike Hire. <laughs> Fair play, that's a lot of sponsors to pull in. And like, do you have to get over, do you have to get that back from the sponsors and then? Will the donations do you think start coming in now in the next couple of weeks as you're as you take off? Is that the is that the hope? Yeah, the plan is definitely to push uh, when we're out there. Um, try and get like the media stuff at home going and uh, start to push the donations then for the Kevin Bell. And again, it's like that's the next project, right? So once we get this, uh, even if I have to do that when I get home to Ireland. Uh, we'll do it then. But I think there's going to be a great reception. Like all the people in the village at home are, I think it's going to be a big push and they're going to get behind it and support it. And uh, I'm definitely excited for that. I hear the president of Ireland is going to be there. Is that true? I'm trying to get him down. I put, uh, we're, <laughs> what else is he doing? <laughs> well, I have his dog's names written on the boat. Yeah, I'm tell us about that. Him. Tell us about that. <laughs> so I have, my man has uh, like a nanora in Kilmac, so like uh, Irish language school for uh, like preschool. And she built that like super into the Irish language and rightly so. But she had, she was like, you have to put Irish words on the boat. And I was like, yeah, yeah of course. So uh, 
initially we were just going to use like it started off with just Brode, which is uh, Michael Hagen's dog's name, you know. And then I was like, this is great. I'll just tell him that, uh, you know, I'll just have his dog's names written on the boat, and we'll see if we can get him to show up in Dungarvan, you know. <laughs> uh, but then it like became so on the boat now, right where we're rowing. It has uh, words like Mishnah, is uh, deal shot, so like courage, loyalty, like love, hope, uh, all those words that you might need to draw on. Because um, like all this endurance stuff, you just have to kid yourself, you know, because you, everything will tell you to stop. Like you're, you're always fighting like an excuse. So like you literally like one part of your mind will be like, oh, hey, I'm injured. You should definitely stop. I think we're injured. Like we should stop. This is like, or this is not working out or and it just goes on for forever. Right. Till you get it done. And then on the other side, you have to come up with reasons why you're doing it. And it don't, they don't have to be real. You just have to well down and whether it's your family needs you to do it or you're being, you just need to go into that part of your brain where it will make you do anything and come up with reasons for that to act. And then kind of those two things together uh, push forward. So those words are like to make me think yeah. of things that mean something deep down that can push you forward to get things done. Okay. Sorry. So I want to just touch back on the, on the trust again, if you want to talk, touch, uh, touch back on that. I think yeah, you said your friend was Seamus. Was he a friend of Kevin Bell's? Yeah, he Is was. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to... Uh, uh, jiu-jitsu at Hanzo Gracie's together um, and he's friends uh, with Kevin and I mean there's I think there's seven of us from Kilmac in New York you know uh, and Stevie my cousin uh, knew him and it's such a small network right I mean you're never far away from any other Irish person in New York uh, so yeah I'd really love um, and then even talking to the, the reaction to the stuff on social media where like people at home Everyone at home knows someone that the Kevin Bell Trust yeah. helped, you know? Like, it's people are writing to me saying, oh, so it would be great to, uh, to, to really help them help other people. Yeah, we had Colin on last week, Colin Bell, and just just speaking to him, I just I was just blown away by the work they do, and I couldn't believe it's nearly Amazing. nearly eleven hundred uh, people, uh, eleven hundred remains they've brought home to Ireland. It's absolutely Amazing. unbelievable. One last thing on the, the New York bar. What's your outlook on the being a restaurant uh, owner? What's the outlook for uh, New York as the as the the city reopens? Are you optimistic that we'll get back to where we were? What's your 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 take on things? Um, it, for the hospitality business, yeah. Do you think it will recover fully, or like how, how will it yeah. change? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it will recover fully. Whether you're in the right place to be there is kind of the other question. Uh, it's going to be tough for like let's say midtown that's tough right with the offices coming back the amount of people residential neighborhoods we're very fortunate where i am because it's in a residential neighborhood in chelsea and there's still lots of people there um i just think it's going to take like if you're in the west village downtown like those places are already back you know it's uh we're like our numbers are there already like we're not uh with especially with outdoors but I think, it, it, of course, it will come back. You know, New York is like a world capital. Uh, is it going to be worth, like I've seen a lot of guys, operators in Times Square, and they saw the writing on the wall immediately and were like, 
that tourism is not going to be back yeah. in the near future. And they like were straight out the door, you know, like they knew um, that it's going to be tough in certain areas, right? Where you depended on business traffic and tourism. Uh, it definitely will come back. And those are the places where, you know, the deals are going to be. Um, but it's, I mean, it's one of the, it's the greatest city in the world. It's not going anywhere. Uh, I, yeah, I'm super optimistic, but I generally am. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be working double shifts for the next, for the next couple of years to, to make up for the time for the, the trip. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, my, my business partner before, so he went, we did a te- like a test run where he went to Thailand to fight. Um, so he's like more, he does more Thai. And so he went off for like five or six weeks and we did that. And that was at the start of last year, just before COVID. Um, and that was fine. So he's going, he's going to New Zealand with his missus when I get back. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's fine. And then we're going to continue building the empire. So there's yeah. lots on the, on the board. You have a good relationship there. So brilliant. So you're going to start another couple of restaurants uh, after that. That's the plan. Yeah. Ray, we'll thank- Ray, thanks for hitting me up. What? <laughs> we'll be in there. Hit me up about the Mrs. Anything. Loves Chelsea, loves it, loves the area. <laughs> so yeah, we must yeah. call. We'll call in when you're back. Listen, Ray, thanks very much for coming on. All the best. I wish you and the two lads all the best. Uh, it's Thank fantastic you. what you're doing for a great cause. I wish you safe travels and we'll keep up to date with you on uh, the hard way home on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ryan. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your streaming provider so that you're instantly notified on new episode releases. To keep up to date with the latest developments of The Hard Way Home, follow the team on Instagram and Facebook on the handle at The Hard Way Home. The team will also be posting updates to social media throughout their journey. If you'd like to support them, there's a donation link in the description of this podcast or check out their website, thehardwayhome.com. You can check out all of our latest podcasts and our last episode with Colin Bell by clicking on thelonghaulpodcast.com. As mentioned earlier, we are currently expanding the site to cover more Irish-American news stories. So if you'd like to suggest a story or submit one yourself, please DM us on social media or email me on michaeljdorgan at hotmail.com. And thanks for listening. Girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went.